Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God. He can abide with you this day and every day. Amen. Today we continue in our series that we've been in, Revealing Jesus. It's a series for Epiphany, which is a word that is tied to revealing. It's um, the light coming, particularly with the star that appeared over Bethlehem. There's this light motif that fills this this season of Epiphany, and so um, that light as it shines continues to reveal Jesus, reveal his identity, reveal who he is. So we look chronologically a little bit at the, the life of Jesus, his early life. So we, last week we talked about the Magi coming and the star that they followed and how that revealed that Jesus was sent to not just Jewish people, but to Gentiles as well, the king was present. And as we move forward into Jesus' life, after the Magi visit, then Herod wants to wipe out all the young boys in the Bethlehem vicinity. Um, we're kind of skipping over that part of the narrative and getting to, um, to this story. Jesus and his parents go to Egypt, and the Bible doesn't tell us what happens in Egypt and how long that may have been. He was there until Herod died and then returned to Nazareth. And then we pick up with Jesus' life in this story, this account about him, along with his parents, going to Jerusalem, which they would do each year. So imagine a 12-year-old boy traveling to Jerusalem, and a lot of that travel would happen on foot, and so they gathered with probably relatives, friends, together, a caravan of foot traffic primarily to make their way to Jerusalem. And there was Jesus following. What do you follow? It's one of the words that social media companies use. You can follow someone on social media, whether that's Facebook or Instagram or any of the other um, social media platforms that exist. You can follow someone and, you know, when they send out a tweet, then you know what they're thinking. It's one of the ways that we learn about people by following. And it's one of the ways that when older, you know, when Jesus was older and he had gathered disciples to himself, the disciples followed Jesus. It's how disciples learn. It's how children learn, too. Not necessarily following in terms of physically moving in the same direction, but following what parents do. Just this past week, I was in a conversation and hearing that little kids are delayed developmentally because one of the ways that they learn to talk isn't just by hearing, but by seeing mouths moving in front of them. And so masks have messed that up because they can't follow the things that we do in order to make the sounds that are coming out quite as easily. Now, hopefully in the home, they're getting some of that. Otherwise, yeah, that developmental delay is hard. There's other things we follow too, though. We enjoy traditions and habits. Are there traditions and habits that you have? 
This chapter describes it this way. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. You have customs. Just last week, we took out all the Christmas decorations that are part of the custom of the Christmas season to put up the trees and have some garland and some wreaths and some green things. Artificial green things, which is safer in this space with all this wood, but there are traditions that we keep. For many people, taking the Christmas tree down on the 6th or approximately of January, Epiphany is a tradition. What other customs do you have? Other particular meals that you eat at particular times? My family growing up, we had pork and sauerkraut and potatoes New Year's Day. That is the New Year's Day meal. I remember going to the grocery store just before New Year's, um, before, and black-eyed peas would be on the end cap like the big display. And I didn't know why. And then I learned that there were people who that was their tradition. New Year's Day, you eat black-eyed peas. I think it was black-eyed peas. Anybody keep that tradition or know about it? Must be a southern thing because that was in Oklahoma. <laughs> Are there particular things that you bake? It's Christmas cookies, but what else? What other habits and customs do we keep? This past week when I recorded the One Minute Wednesday, I shared um, about something that I'd heard. I use a, an app called Strava to track my bicycling miles and, and things that you know I do when I'm on the road. And um, I just heard on the radio that there was a representative talking about, uh, about the company. And they have all this data now because they have years of people using the app. And so you know this is how these companies, they don't just sell you the the app to use, right? They also sell that data to other people. So probably I'm going to get all kinds of emails for things that I didn't ask for, but that's how it worked. But with all this data, they said if you make a New Year's resolution and you make it to the 17th of January, then you're much more likely to keep that resolution. 17 days. Which is different because I had heard for a long, long time, if you do something for 30 days, you can create a habit. If you want to create a habit, do something consistently for just 30 days, and you'll have a new habit, and you'll be good to go. It'll get ingrained. Strava apparently has found it's even less than that. It's 17 days. Do you have habits? Do you want to make new habits? Have you set a New Year's resolution to maybe start a new tradition? Growing up, my dad had uh, a pet peeve. If something was announced as the first annual, he found that to be, it didn't make sense, right? How can something be the first annual? You may have the intention of making it an annual experience, but if it's the first one, it has not yet been annual. Is there something that you want to do now and repeat? Sometimes our habits, our customs can make sense and they can be helpful. But sometimes we recognize and we know that we have habits that aren't so helpful. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about you know, being 
just in our nature, separated from God and doing the things that, that aren't of God. And sometimes that happens because we're following. Now, we learn the rules, and we learn to follow the rules. Jesus went down with them. This is the end of our reading today. Came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Are you a rule follower? I don't know that any of us coined the nickname for Paula, but um, she may have said it herself. I don't know where it came from, but she's Paula the rule follower uh, sometimes. Sometimes we just recognize that, that she's the follower of the rules more than, well, the rest of the family might tend to be. Do you follow the rules? I follow rules more easily if they make sense to me. Are you the same way? Where it's like, that? I don't understand why you're asking me to do it this way, and I, I, have, a, I have something more efficient in mind. <laughs> I don't understand the rule and where it came from. I might not want to follow it. Or do you follow rules just because? Because it's there. Or habits or traditions just because it's there. I heard a story one time about a young woman hosting Easter dinner, or I think it was Easter. That's a traditional time to eat ham. So she was going to roast the ham and got ready to put it in the oven, cut the end off, put it in the pan, put it in the oven. Came time for dinner, and, you know, there was the roasted ham, and then there was the chunk of ham that she cut off, you know, sitting on the counter or a plate or something. And um, it became a topic of conversation. What, what are, why is that there? And the woman said, well, this is what we do. When, we, when you roast the ham, you cut the end off before you put it in the oven. And so um, her mom said, well, yeah, that, that's what you do. And the grandma was also there and said, I don't know why you two do it, but for me, I did it because the oven was too small, so I had to. Sometimes things get ingrained in us and we follow these rules and traditions and habits that we have without even questioning, without even knowing the source, the reason. Jesus was submissive. There's a commandment, and he knew it. Honor your father and your mother. And so he set out to honor them. It seems questionable a little bit in this scene, right? When Mary comes to Jesus and says, why have you treated us so, why have you done this to us? But Jesus was submissive. Jesus kept the commandment. Rules for us are helpful for orderly society. What if everyone ignored the rules? When we leave here, most of us are probably going to drive, and I don't know of anyone that could get from here to anywhere without going through a stop sign or a traffic light or anything like that. And what if it was a free-for-all at that intersection? That's not safe. That's not healthy. That's terrible. What happens when the rules don't make sense or there's a good reason to break the rule? More powerful than rule-following for many is going with the crowd. Do you go with the crowd? When the crowd is bending or breaking rules... Okay, do you drive with the traffic or do you drive the speed limit? Jesus didn't go with the crowd 
with the group that had come down from Nazareth to Jerusalem, when they were ready to return, he didn't go with them. Verse 43, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. He didn't go with the crowd in this scene, and Jesus didn't go with the crowd ever. He was countercultural, continuously challenging the status quo, the leadership, the people involved in what they were doing. So we get to the point in this scene where it's lost and found. Jesus was separated from his family. And we learn that in verse 44. They thought he was with the group. They went a day's journey, began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And then in verse 45, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. When I was probably close to 12 years old, and not exactly sure of how old I was anymore, but... Um, Along with my mom and dad and a friend of mine named Jeff, um, the four of us went to a Reds baseball game. Downtown Cincinnati, Riverfront Stadium, it's gone now, they blew it up. But, um, and, and so you, from where I lived, about a 20-minute drive or so to get to the city. And then you get close to the stadium, and then parking would be really expensive, right? My dad doesn't like to pay to park. So neither do I. I mean, I get that naturally. I inherited that trait. So we're looking for a place on the street. It was a weekend day, so street parking was free in the city. So we, you know, drove until we found a, a place on the street. Got out of the car, walked to the stadium. Well, we're walking along, and, you know, I'm just mental note of what we're passing. So there's a bank. It's closed. Saturday, late in the afternoon. Okay, there's some kind of modern art thing. Not sure exactly what it is, but there it is. Oh, probably a bakery or some kind of business. Get a little further, turn the corner, can see the bridges, can see the stadium, walk over, go to the game. Must have been an exciting game because everybody stayed to the end of the game. And then we all got up and we left together. So we walked down the stairs to the stadium, get to the ramp thing that goes, whatever it did to get everybody out. And at some point... I thought my mom and dad were like right behind me and I turned around and I didn't see them. And then I thought, well, maybe they're just, uh, maybe somehow they got ahead of me, so we'll, I'll just keep going. And so I got out and I'm just walking along with the crowd and I walked across the bridge where all the pedestrians were going because that's the way we were all going. And then I could recognize, oh, we came from that way, so I'll keep going because they're probably just right up there. And then I saw that bakery or business, whatever it was, and I got to that and, you know, turned the corner, and there was the modern art thing. I know I'm on the right path. They're probably just up ahead. Made it all the way to the car. They were not there. So I turned around, and I went back because they weren't there. So I walked past the bank of the modern art thing and turned the corner and saw the bridge and got to the stadium. And my mom and dad were so <laughs> relieved, of course. Have you gotten separated from a child, someone for whom you are responsible, even someone who's, you know, an adult, but you're in a group together, you're in a crowd together, you get separated, you don't know where the other person went, and you come back together, you find each other. My parents were searching for me, and they were looking in the places that made sense to 
be around the stadium? How would a boy about this age navigate downtown Cincinnati, where I didn't go very often, and find my way? They were terrified that someone else had decided to take my hand and lead me. So when I came back, they were relieved. Jesus' parents were looking for him in places that made sense. But Jesus can be found in the Father's house. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. It's a place that makes sense to find Jesus. He was in the temple listening and learning. Even though he was still young, his identity is being revealed here in this scene to the people who were around him. It's being revealed that he knew a bit more than they would expect. It's about work and wisdom. Jesus was wise beyond his years. All who heard him, verse 47, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. A lot of time Jesus comes off as kind of precocious, right, in this scene. Like the 12-year-old boy sitting in the temple, like, oh, yeah, well... What about this? I'm not sure that's exactly how it would have played out. I I think that's our our kind of cultural understanding of what a 12-year-old in that setting um, would have meant or what that would have felt like to people there. And it's possible that he had kind of a chip-on-his-shoulder attitude. I don't know. But more likely, an oblivious kind of preteen occupied in that current moment and wise beyond his years in a very real way. I mean, he's the son of God and was part of all that, right? John chapter 1 introduces him as the one through whom all things were made. As the word of God made flesh. And so if they're unpacking the word of God, the word of God is sitting right there. The word of God in the flesh. So wise beyond his years because of who he was. Importantly to note in this text, though, is he understood his purpose. He said to them, to his parents, as they found him, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Here's an interesting thing about this text. It's translated differently in different versions um, because the word house isn't there. Um, It's actually, I must be about my father's, and then a word that is hard to translate because it's just um, an article, plural. Article meaning like the. So thes, which we don't do, right? The, the stuff, the business, the house, but it's plural. The best translation that I found looking for it um, is in the New American Standard uh, Bible. The affairs, that's pretty good because that's plural. It gives us, you know, kind of that plural idea. The affairs or things of my father is a pretty good uh, translation of it. So it's not really the house. It's not that physical place where the people were talking, but it was more about what he was doing. It was the work that he came to do, not the vicinity where that building was. Coming up this year, 
assuming that it can happen, April 28th, bring your child to work day. I don't remember that day being a specific day on the calendar when I was younger. But I know that with both my mom and dad, I got to go to work with them occasionally. Sometimes it was just because there was an appointment or an event or something that I, we had to go to. Um, sometimes it's because I needed to be out of school or my school was closed, but my, where my mom taught was open, so I would go with her. Occasionally I'd go with my dad. The idea of bring your child to work day is so that the, the kids can learn what work looks like, what an office environment looks like, what a teacher does during the day. Jesus had to go to the work of his father, to the events, the affairs, the things of his father, not to learn, but because he was already involved. He was already in that, in that stream, in that direction. His life was going that way, and it just made sense. Jesus demonstrated the importance of being about his father's affairs, his father's work, his things focused on his purpose and learning. He was still learning. I mean, that's the somewhat confusing thing about Jesus as the God-man, right? As the fully human boy Jesus, he has things to learn. He's in that 12-year-old preteen adolescent stage. He was probably a little awkward. It happens to all of us. <laughs> but divine Jesus, and they're one and the same, and he's 100% both, and how does that work? It's hard to really get our minds around that, right? He knew already what was there in the word. He knew even the thoughts of the hearts of the people who were gathered. He was about his father's business, and that business was to seek and to save the lost. That's the purpose for which he came. And he was about that from the time he was a, an infant. That was the purpose and that was the path for his life that through these kinds of episodes is revealed to us that he must be about his father's affairs. You and I are called to be workers in his kingdom. Those who are saved by grace through the work of this one who came to be about the affairs of his father, came to fulfill that purpose for which he was sent, came to live in order to die on our behalf. And those of us now saved by that grace that he gives are called to be at work in his kingdom. We are his workmanship, Ephesians 2 verse 10 created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You work in the family business. We're the family. This is our business. To connect people to Jesus is the affairs of the church. It is what we're for. It's what we're about together corporately to grow in our faith together our relationships with one another, and to connect more and more people to Jesus. We can be about the affairs of our Father. Use the gifts you've been given. We're his workmanship. We're crafted for this purpose. 
and be about your Father's work. Reveal Jesus through your work in the kingdom. Amen.